Thank you, Dee. Some of you know this, that next Sunday is Dee's last Sunday with us. I know, so sad. But we're going to miss your beautiful playing and your presence with us, but thank you for that. Uh, our summer series, Disciplines of Grace, we're in week two. If you weren't, we weren't here last week, I would encourage you to pick up, uh, you can watch it online, the church app or on, our, on the website. And catch up to get up to speed. Uh, all the sermons are posted each week. Pastor Brian preached to us about the discipline of gratitude, a fundamental practice in the life of the Christian. But that that phrase, disciplines of grace, maybe it strikes you as an odd combination of words because we don't typically put the word discipline and the word grace together in our minds. We hear discipline, we think things like punishment, physical training. It sounds harsh. We hear grace, we think freedom, liberation, joy. It sounds nice. Discipline and grace, how do those go together? The Bible actually does put them together in a powerful way in the life of the Christian. The Apostle Paul writes in Titus 2, the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all people. And it trains us, and the word training there is the Greek word paideia, meaning discipline or education of a young child. It disciplines us, it trains us to renounce ungodliness, and to live self-controlled, godly lives in this present age. So the grace of Jesus Christ not only appears and forgives our sin, brings salvation, it also disciplines us, trains us, changes us over time. The point then is, disciplines of grace are just those practices that Christians engage in to help us live in the grace of Jesus, experience his grace, have his grace flow into and out of our lives and all that we do. That's what we're looking at. And as I said last week, we looked at the discipline of uh, gratitude. How many of you took the gratitude challenge last week? Good for 12 of you. So <laughs> the challenge was simply this. And by the way, you could take this every day of your life, and you should, that every morning get up and write, f write down five things you're grateful for, and you can't repeat those throughout the week. So five new things you're grateful for. It's amazing how that simple act changes your perspective because we're so conditioned to focus on what we think we lack. Just reminding ourselves of all that we have is, is, is of God's grace. It's good for us, good for our souls, a great way to start your day. And by the way, we'll have challenges and practices throughout this summer-long series together. The discipline of grace I want to look at from the Word of God this morning is the discipline of noticing. The discipline of noticing God in our lives. You might say the practice of paying attention to the activity of God in your life. Because if we're honest, most of us are not always paying attention. Or if we are, we're paying attention to the wrong things. We don't notice. We don't see in the moment. Recently, I had the chance to take a trip to the United Kingdom with my wife. Some of you saw this on Facebook and commented, thank you for watching and <laughs> following along. We, I'm part of a pastor's cohort. We've been meeting a couple of times a year over the past three years on different church locations to learn and grow as pastors. But this was the last hurrah, the finale of this kind of three-year season together. And we were going to go to the UK to learn from a couple of churches there and spend some time with a man named N.T. Wright, um, who teaches at New Testament at St. Andrews University in St. Andrews, Scotland, one of the preeminent New Testament scholars alive today. So for nerds like me, I was very excited about this trip for many reasons. One of the reasons was we decided to take our wives, and I tucked in a day and a half in the middle of this trip to go to Oxford and see all of the C.S. Lewis sites. Oh, it was so great. <laughs> it was so great. Anyway, 
But uh, we finished our trip in St. Andrews. Uh, we had, my wife and I had an extra day in Scotland. We drove up north to, to see Dunatar Castle, north of Aberdeen on the North Sea coast. And my wife wanted to go hiking in the East Lomond, Lomond Hills near Loch Lomond. This beautiful kind of foothills of the highlands, gorgeous landscape. And I'm like, great, let's do that. So we went hiking. Got up early in the morning and 6 a.m. and drove uh, to this state park and then parked our car and walked maybe a, two miles, this little village called Falkland, uh, Scotland. It's, it's just gorgeous and old ruined palaces there. And the mist is in the, in the hills and we start hiking up. And I'm feeling good. Had my coffee early in the morning and we're hiking. I'm, I, we pass by these three ladies and their little dog. I'm feeling, I'm marching, I'm leading the pack and we're going. About an hour later, I'm hands on my knees, bent over, because it's straight up. You'll see an image here. Um, it's hard to tell from here, but we hiked up the top of that, that, that pike. That's about a 1,500 feet elevation gain from where this picture was taken. And we're already standing at probably 4,000 feet. Anyway, the next image here shows you kind of the, the way in the distance there. It's hard to tell from here, but that's a long way for a guy like me. So I'm, I'm hands on my knees, bent over, dying, and those same three ladies that I had passed by before passed by me with their little doggy, and they, one of them says to me, it's a great morning for a hike, laddie. I'm like, <laughs> I was not thinking Christian thoughts toward her at that moment, you know, and they just went cruising. My wife is way ahead, like, Jeff, come on. I could like, barely see her. I'm just getting more irritated as we went. This is a picture of me. Um, well, actually, this is, I look like I'm smiling. That's more of a wince. We're looking down in the valley as the mist burns off at the town below, way below us. And when I got to the top, my, there's this lookout point, and it really is gorgeous. My wife was like, come, come see. I didn't want to see. I just wanted to, my head was pounding. I just want to stop for a second. She's like, Jeff, Jeff, you know. She's been up there for an hour waiting for me probably. I didn't notice. And I, that's become a bit of a, now here's the picture of the way down. I like that view for many reasons. We're on the way down. My wife's ahead of me, you know, and then, of course, this last one here is we're down at the bottom looking back up again at what we've done. It's become a metaphor for me of how many of us go through life. Just head down, trying to get through it, not paying attention. Maybe we're fatigued, distracted, a little overwhelmed, tired, whatever the case, but we just don't, we just kind of have blinders on. And I was like that. She's like, look how beautiful. Look at the heather on the hillside. Look at the mist burning off. I'm like, yeah, 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 you know. And spiritually speaking, many of us go through life not paying attention. And think of what we miss, what we don't see, what God wants to show us but we don't see. This is true for all of us. It's Father's Day, so dads out there, grandfathers and fathers, how many of you feel like your kids have attention span issues? How many of you kids think my dad has attention span issues, actually, right? I remember one time when I was, Benjamin, who's just graduated high school, and he was a little guy, would tell these stories. And they were half fiction, half reality, and you couldn't tell. And they went on forever, and it was easy to lose, to stop paying attention. It's kind of, uh-huh, uh-huh. And like look over his shoulder at the cubs or the bears or whatever, you know. And he would have grabbed my cheeks and go, Dad, and pull my face to look at him. Dad, uh-huh. Like to get me to pay attention. I think in some ways sometimes we're like that. The Bible actually has quite a bit to say about the discipline of noticing and how it matters and what it does for us. And one of the best places for us to go to learn about this discipline is the book of Psalms. Particularly, we're going to look at Psalm 19. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Reflections on the Psalms, called Psalm 19, the greatest poem in all the scriptures. And I think he's, he's quite right. Psalm 19 is written by King David. You might know King David, the one who slew Goliath with a stone in his sling. 
but before he was Israel's greatest king, he was a shepherd boy, the youngest of eight brothers, and he spent most of his time before he lived in the palace living out in the fields, keeping watch over his flocks, the family herds and flocks, sleeping under the stars. And, and invariably, shepherds have to notice things because they're watching. And so David learns by necessity the discipline of noticing. And he brings that into his poetry, his spiritual poetry, which we read in the Psalms, noticing God, noticing the activity of God all around him. And Psalm 19 is, is a poem about how God speaks to us, and the first third of it is how he speaks in his creation. Let's just read the first six verses. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There's no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes throughout all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber. And like a strong man runs its course with joy. It's rising from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. The first third of this psalm is about how God speaks to us just in what exists, what has been made in the natural world. David is saying to us that God is speaking to you in all that exists. He's saying God is continually speaking through creation. The heavens have something to say to you. The earth has something to proclaim to you. Do you listen? Do you notice? God is trying to get your attention, put it that way. God is trying, not just, not just now and then, not just once upon a time, not in the important moments. Uh, David says, day after day, night after night, they are pouring forth speech. God's trying to get your attention every day, all day, in what he's made. He's speaking to you. He's declaring things to you. He's proclaiming something to you. What is he saying? Well, number one, he's saying, I exist. Number two, he's telling you about his nature, his character, in what he made. The reason that creation is declaring the glory of God is because God made it that way. It's his intent that every rock, every tree, every bush, every grain of sand, every wave on the sea should declare the glory of God. Everything that God has made should be speaking the glory of God. That includes you and me. Elizabeth Elliot famously said, a rock or a clam glorifies God better than you. Because a clam is living in according to its created purpose. You and I have a choice in the matter and don't always do so. But the natural world is saying things to you. Think of it this way. Why should a sunset from a mountaintop or over a lake thrill our hearts if the sun is just a burning ball of gas that's 93 million miles away? Why should, when you get away from the lights of the city and the suburbs, a cloudless sky at night where you can see the stars in all their brilliance, why should that move you to ponder the meaning of the universe if they're just in the cold, meaningless expanse of the universe, if the universe has no meaning. David says the answer is because they aren't meaningless, God made them and he's speaking through them constantly. Most of us just aren't noticing. 
The Apostle Paul expands on this in his incredible letter to the Romans, which is this great theological explanation, description, and application of the gospel, the good news. And in his sort of preamble, the first chapter and a half, he, he's laying out the, the groundwork for how we're to understand the gospel. Listen to what he says in Romans 1, verses 19 through 20. For what can be known about God is plain to them, them meaning all people, because God has shown it to them. How's he shown it? His invisible attributes, his, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so that they are without excuse. So it's not that God is putting little clues that are hard to decipher in the natural world. He is making it clear. He's saying it plainly. How many of you have had this experience? You see a sunset, the birth of a child, something in, in the natural world that thrills you and it causes you to worship and you think to yourself, how can people see this and not believe that there's a God? Anybody ever had that experience? Maybe once upon a time you were that person. Paul tells us it happens all the time. The natural world is charged with the presence of God and he's speaking all the time, but most of us don't see. Many of us don't hear. Humans have a remarkable capacity to miss the point, don't we? In Mark chapter 8, Jesus says to his disciples, after the miracle of the feeding of the 4,000, he feeds 4,000 miraculously, and the disciples begin to wonder, where, where are we going to get bread? And Jesus says, what's wrong with you? That's my translation. <laughs> he, says, he says, are you still hard of heart? Do you not understand? You have eyes, but you don't see. You have ears, but you don't hear. Don't you get it, he says, who I am? And the truth is we don't. We don't notice. We don't see. In his book, Letters to Malcolm, Chiefly on Prayer, again, C.S. Lewis says, we, we may ignore, but we can nowhere evade the presence of God. The world is crowded with him, and he walks everywhere incognito. Think about that. We can ignore it, but we can't actually evade it. You can put blinders on. You can just have your head down and not see, but we actually can't get away from his presence. He's always there speaking to us. And then Lewis goes on to say, and this incognito is not actually hard to penetrate. In other words, God is not tr being coy and mysterious. He's ac it's actually present and easy to see if we have eyes to see. And Lewis goes on to say, the real challenge, the real labor, he says, is to pay attention, to come awake, still more to remain awake. I love that phrase, to remain awake. Some of you right now, remain awake <laughs> in church. <laughs> What did he say? <laughs> to remain awake. Spiritually speaking, awake to the presence and reality and work of God in your life. Because we, we fall back asleep. In Ephesians 5, verse 14, the Apostle Paul says, Arise, he's quoting Jeremiah, Arise, O sleeper, and the light of Christ, come awake, the light of Christ will dawn on you. So the grace of Jesus Christ wakes us up to who we really are and who he is and forgives our sin. But many of us slide back into slumber, sleepwalking through life. How many of you have this experience with your kids when they're teenagers? You go in to wake them up. My kids say, get me up at 7, Dad. i got to be at work. Okay, I'll get you up. Alarm goes off. I have my coffee. I hear his alarm going off. He's not getting up. I go upstairs, turn off his alarm, look at my son, you know, wake him up. Hey, buddy. My wife is like, morning, sunshine. I'm like, get up. Work is in 10 minutes, you know. Get him up. You know, he looks at me. Okay, okay, I'm up. He swings the covers off, puts his feet on the floor. I, I'm up, Dad, I'm up. I walk out. Lights on, he's up. He's not sleeping. What happens? 30 seconds, back down, asleep. Spiritually speaking, I think many of us, I do that. 
You have these moments in your life when God wakes you up to who he is and what he's about, that he's real, that he's there, that he's at work. And you go, I, I, how do I not see this? And then over time we slide back into sleepwalking through life. We hear in our culture today about the, the woke generation. Those who are woke. I don't know exactly what that means. I'll tell you what God thinks it means. Wake up. Notice. Pay attention. Because there's no place on earth where God is not speaking. Not declaring, not proclaiming who he is, what he's done to you, to me, and to us. The grace of Jesus wakes us up and we need to stay awake. And the practice of paying attention leads to noticing. Paying attention leads to noticing. And then noticing leads to praising. Annie Dillard, in a book called Pilgrim at Tinker Creek, it's a diary of hers, a spiritual diary, where she tries to uh, capture a record of her noticing God even in her own backyard at Tinker Creek. It's really a great read. Let me read to you a portion of what she says. Uh, the, she, she had a family friend, a girl who had a, was partially blind, had a surgery on her eyes, and then when the bandages were removed, this girl made this comment, I see a tree with lights in it. And that became a metaphor to Annie Dillard of seeing God like a child sees because children are natural noticers, aren't they? They, they see the wonder in ways that adults sometimes don't. She writes this, It's all a matter of keeping my eyes open. A teeming, living world is all around, but most miss it completely. When the doctor took away her bandages and led her into the garden, this precious girl who was no longer blind saw the tree with lights in it. And it was for this tree that I searched through the peach orchards of summer, the forests of fall, down winter and spring for years. Then one day, I was walking along Tinker Creek and thinking of nothing at all in particular, and I saw the tree with lights in it. I saw the backyard cedar where the morning doves roost, charged and transfigured, each cell buzzing with flame. I stood on the grass with the lights in it, grass that was holy fire, utterly focused and utterly dreaming and amazed. It was less like seeing than being able to see for the first time, knocked breathless by beauty. The flood of fire abated, but I'm still spending that power. She says, all my life, I never realized it, that I was a bell and never knew it until God picked me up and rung me. She says the, the, it fades, right? But there are these moments. I think you could make the case that the Christian life is not just trusting in Jesus once upon a time, but coming fully awake to his presence and power every day, all day. To, to wake up and pay attention and live my life noticing the activity of God in every moment of my life. I have a good friend named Jerry Root. He preached here. Some of you may know him. He teaches at Wheaton College. We were walking out of a C.S. Lewis lecture of all things at Wheaton College on the Billy Graham Center in the parking lot. It was a fall afternoon. And I wanted to talk to him about why I thought the previous lecture wasn't exactly that good. And Jerry grabbed my arm. I thought he was listening to me. And he went, oh! I went, what, what, what? I thought I missed something. And he points at Blanchard Hill where the tower is. And there's the sun setting. And it wasn't even that great of a sunset, to be honest with you. I mean, I've seen better. Right? The sun was setting. And he goes, oh, Jeff, isn't it glorious? I thought he was losing his mind. I'm like, it's nice. And he said that we should be privileged to see such a thing. How good is God? I was like, are you okay? <laughs> like, like, he wasn't putting on airs. It was just the two of us. He lives his life paying attention, noticing, seeing the goodness of God in the simplest things. 
Elizabeth Barrett Browning writes in her great sonnet, the earth, that earth is crammed with heaven and every common bush of fire with God, but only those who see take off their shoes. Most just sit around and pick blackberries. So the important thing is that not just to notice, but that noticing would do something, cause us to praise. David in Psalm 8, some of you will know this psalm, also wrote this psalm. He says, when I consider the heavens, the work of your hands, the moon and stars which you put in place, I ask this question. What is man that you're mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. How many of you had that experience? You look up at the stars and think, who am I? What am I? So we notice the glory of God in the heavens, and we ask questions about meaning and purpose, and he finishes the psalm with the way he begins it, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Noticing leads to praising. Pay attention leads to notice, and noticing leads to praising. Earlier in that same psalm, David says, It's out of the mouths of children and infants you have ordained praise. They do it better than we do sometimes. Not just walking around going, cool, that's a cool mountain, nice sunset, but to connect that with something. Now, I'm betting some of you are here and you like this sort of thing. You're sort of a naturalist, you're an ascetic, you like to be outside, you like nature, you see God in nature. Some of you are here and you're more logical, practical, and you're an engineer type and you're going, I don't really get this whole tree-hugging thing. What are you talking about, right? This is actually very practical discipline, very important discipline in the life of all Christians, regardless of your temperament. Jesus, when talking to people about anxiety, worry, and fear about the future points us to this discipline. How many of you have ever worried about the future at one time in your life? If your hand's not up, you're not listening or you're lying, right? <laughs> Even those of you who are not naturally anxious, we all have worries about the, my kid's future, my own future, my job future, my marriage future, the economic future, the political future. We worry about stuff, we think about it, and sometimes it spins us in bad directions, gets our hearts all out of whack and our souls misshapen. Jesus teaches about this in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6. He has something very profound to say to those of us who worry about the future. Let's read verses 25 through 33. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor your body about what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God... So close the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven. Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So now, I'm, I'm going to be, to be honest... If some of you made an appointment to come see me for pastoral counseling about your fear of the future, hypothetically, you make an appointment, Pastor Jeff, I, I'm, I'm racked with anxiety. And by the way, levels of anxiety are almost epidemic among the younger generation in our culture today. 
You came to see me and said, I'm just worried about the future all the time. And I said, here's what you do. Go outside, do some bird watching, pick some flowers, it'll be all good. <laughs> I'm guessing some of you would go, I'm worried about him now and his future. But that's what Jesus says to do. But it's not just mindless bird watching and flower gazing. It's making a connection, right? Notice leads to praising. He says, he says, look at the birds of the air. The word for look in Greek and the word for notice in Greek are two different words, but they are pointing us in one direction. It means to stare intently, and it means to learn or, con or contemplate. So he's saying, look at the birds and the lilies for a particular reason. So you make a connection that is easy for many to miss. What's that connection? That God made them. God clothes them. God feeds them. God sustains them. Julian of Norwich wrote this series of divine revelations. She lived during the 1300s and she grew up during the time of the Black Death when more than a third of the people that she would have known in her own village were wiped out. She also lived during the Hundred Years' War, the great war between England and France where many people were killed. She had more than a few reasons to doubt the goodness of God and fear the future. And in one of her, the first revelation, she has this famous thing about a hazelnut. Some of you may know this, or maybe you read it years, years ago. I tried to find a hazelnut at Fresh Market or, or Trader Joe's, and they don't sell them because apparently they taste terrible. But anyway, she's holding this hazelnut. Let me read to you what she writes about this little hazelnut and what it taught her. In this, the Lord showed me a small thing, a hazelnut lying in the palm of my hand, as it seemed, and it was as round as a tiny pebble. I looked upon it with the eye of my own human understanding, and I marveled how it could last. And I was answered, it lasts and ever shall last, for God loves it. And so all things have their beginning by the love of God. In this small hazelnut, I saw three properties that have sustained me my whole life. The first is that God made it. The second is that God loves it. And the third is that God keeps it. It sounds so simple. But think about that for just a minute. In something as ordinary and mundane and seemingly insignificant as a hazelnut, God speaks and says, I made it. I love it. And I keep it. What is Jesus saying when he says, look at the birds. Consider the lilies. Learn from them, he says about who I am. I made them. I love them. I keep them. And then turn that to yourself. God made you. God loves you. God keeps you. It's easy to forget. It's so easy to forget and to lose sight. Who do you worry for or about? God made them. God loves them. And God keeps them. I'm not saying that there aren't good reasons to have concerns and bring those concerns to God in prayer. But fundamentally, for those of us who are prone to worry and those of us who aren't, the discipline of noticing is great medicine for the soul. We need it more than we, we realize. What is this great hymn that we sometimes sing? This is my father's world, right? What does he say? The birds their carols raise. The morning white, the lily bright, Declare their maker's praise. He's channeling Jesus in Matthew chapter 6. Earth is crammed with heaven. We may ignore, but we can nowhere evade 
the presence of God because he's speaking to us all the time. Now, noticing leads to praising, and praising leads to perspective and to peace. It changes the way you see things. Have you ever been around somebody who, who sees the world differently? They see God, they perceive God, they just make connections that you don't, and you think, I want to be like that person. How many of you have been around somebody who's a natural worrier and a negative person, and you thought, that's what I want to be like when I grow up? <laughs> no. This is not a waste of time to practice the discipline of noticing. It's a necessity. It's vital for us, especially those of us who live in the digital age of distraction, as many sociologists call it. I went for a walk. Recently, I reconnected with some of my old teammates and roommates from my college playing days. We, we were in Priest Lake, Idaho. We had a reunion after many, many years we hadn't seen each other. We, we all have some, one's the head of the FBI in Dallas. One's the head of a surgery division in, in, in Philadelphia. We're all big boys with big jobs, but we behave like idiots as soon as we get together again. It was great. The, no reception on the lake. We went for hikes and fished and canoed. Everything was a competition. But I would get up in the morning and go for a hike, and I forgot my phone, and I didn't have my headphones. I usually listen to a podcast on spiritual leadership when I, or something like that or the Bible on, when I walk. I didn't have my headphones. I don't know if you know this. It's possible to take a hike without your phone. I left it home, and I went hiking. And I'm walking in the woods, and I'm noticing things that I wouldn't ordinarily notice. And I, 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 uh, I, I hear the sound. Like the, I'm like, what? Is that a small jackhammer? But I'm in the middle of the woods in the mountains. It's a woodpecker as big as my arm banging away at this tree. Looks at me like, what do you want? And he goes right back to pe pecking. I was amazed by this. Then I walked, and I heard some, like a loud stick crack and some movement in the, in the woods. And I thought, is that a bear? <laughs> if it is a bear, how big a bear? Could I take it? I don't know. And then I froze, and I saw some movement. And ahead of me on the trail, maybe 40 yards, a moose passed by. A moose! A moose! I would have walked right into him or missed him entirely. <laughs> it's not just to see cool things, though. It's to connect those things in the ordinary events of your life with the God who made you, who loves you, and who keeps you, who will always keep you. As the Apostle Paul says in Acts 17, he is closer to us than we are to ourselves. So here is your challenge should you choose to accept it. Are you ready? Your spiritual challenge, your discipline of grace this week. Last week you begin every day with gratitude. This week I want you to end every day by taking a little inventory of where you noticed God. Your, your assignment is to write down one place you noticed God. His presence, his power, his peace, his, uh, his love or his grace. It could be in nature, it could be a song you heard, it could be something one of your children or grandchildren said to you. But to Actually, make a record for one week of the ways that you notice God every day. Before your head hits the pillow, stop, pause, think, where did I see God today? Maybe it's in a conviction or challenge or uh, in a way that was hard. Because, friends, he's there. He's present. He is always speaking. I, I want a God of the miraculous moment, right? The incarnation, the resurrection, the second coming, the big miraculous things. I, I, we, I stake my life on that. I also want a God who's present in the everyday ordinary events. And we have both. He's trying to get your attention. Will you pay attention? God made you. God loves you. And God keeps you. Let's pray. Father God, we confess that many of us, if we're honest, we sleepwalk through whole chunks of our life. We're just not paying attention to you. But we want to. We want to see and hear and perceive your goodness and love in ways that we don't. 
thank you that you are always speaking, that you made us and you love us and you sustain us by your grace. Discipline us by your grace that we might walk in it and experience more of it. We pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.